You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. So we're in the midst of this series, Questions You Don't Ask in Church. And uh, what we're doing in this series is we're asking the questions that you want to ask, but you feel like maybe you can't ask. And, and, and these are questions you might have, but you feel like, ah, if I ask it, like, is it a stupid question? Or, or I might feel silly because I should already know the answer, and so I don't know. And so what we're doing in the series is we're just breaking all the rules, and we're asking those questions. And the reason is because one of our values as a church is authenticity is essential. That means that we are real, and so we're going to ask real questions, and we're going to give real answers. And the way that we came up with the questions for this series is we sent out a survey uh, to you and we asked, hey, what questions do you have that you want to ask but feel like you can't ask in church? And so we got a lot of responses. We ranked them in the top four questions. And uh, so that's what we've been going over. So the first question a couple weeks ago we, we talked about was, is it okay to smoke, drink, cuss, get tattoos and piercings? And so if you missed that or you weren't here that day, you can listen to it on our podcast. You can listen to it on our website, wearetherising.com. Uh, but last week, we asked this question, uh, which is it, creation, evolution, or a bit of both? And so we answered that. Next week, we're going to ask this question, uh, are heaven and hell real? And if so, who goes where? So make sure you're here for that. But today, we are asking the number one question that you asked. This is the number one question. Out of all the responses we got from people who said, I have a question, this far and above beat every other question. And also, this is a question that we've been asked uh, since the inception of our church. Over and over again, people have asked us this question. Here's, here's just a couple um, examples of what people have asked. Someone uh, reached out to us on Facebook a few weeks ago. They, they sent us a message, and they said, I heard your commercial on the radio. I'd like to come tomorrow, but I'm worried the question I have will be answered, and it will make me feel like a witch hunt once it is answered. I'm gay, but I don't want to feel as though I was a pig that wandered into the slaughterhouse. I'm hoping that no matter what your scripturally-based answer is, I'm still made to feel safe and welcome. Do you think that will be the case? Uh, another person uh, used our contact form on our website, and they asked this. They said, hello, my wife and I are looking for a church home. We've been visiting churches that embrace homosexuality, and that is not something we are looking for. We would like to attend a biblical teaching church. Could you give me more information on where you stand? And so over and over again, since the beginning of our church two and a half years ago, the number one question people have asked me is, is about homosexuality. People have not asked me about uh, money or marriage or uh, relationships or friendships, but the number one question people have asked about is... What do we do with homosexuality? We've gotten variations of questions like this. I'm gay. Am I welcome in your church? Another person, what does your church teach about gay people? Another person, why don't you preach against gay people and tell them they're going to hell? And so we've gotten all kinds of questions about this. And I've never really felt the need to preach on homosexuality uh, until I saw that this is the number one question that you're asking. So today, we're going to ask this question and we're going to answer it. What does God think of homosexuality? Now, I actually think that there's a better question than that, and I'll tell you what that better question is in a moment. Um, but I want to I give you my two goals for today but before I even get started. I have two goals for today. My first goal is I want us to read from the scriptures 
be able to understand it and apply it to our life. And so that's my first goal, to understand the scriptures and apply them to our life. My second goal is to not end up on CNN. Uh, <laughs> It's a lofty goal, I know, but, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Because you've seen this before, like some crazy preacher from Florida, because all crazy people are in Florida. It, unless that's you, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about all your neighbors, but some crazy preacher from Florida is like spewing out some venom and hatred, and, he, and there's a video clip of him, he ends up on CNN, he's interviewed, and then he just, he causes all this controversy. And so my goal today is to not end up on CNN. Now, I don't think I'm going to say anything that's CNN worthy. Uh, but if you want to video record this, you are more than welcome to. Uh, we're, also, we're also recording the audio of this, so it'll be on our podcast and also on our website. But these are my two goals, that we'll read the scriptures, be able to understand it and apply it, and then second, uh, not to end up on CNN. Now, um, as, we, as we go about answering this question, I need to lay a foundation so that we're all on the same page and we're all starting from the same place. And it's a three-layer foundation. And so the first layer of this foundation is this. Uh, we need to understand that when we talk about homosexuality, uh, it's not an issue, right? Just like abortion is not an issue. Just like racism is not an issue. And when I say it's not an issue, I don't mean that it's not a big deal. What I mean is that it's not some topic, it's not some issue, but it's about people. When we talk about homosexuality, it's personal. We're not talking about those people out there, that nameless, faceless group of gay people. But we're talking about real people. We're talking about moms and dads. We're talking about brothers and sisters. We're talking about your cousin. We're talking about your friend from, from work, your friend uh, from school. We're talking about people in this church. And so as we talk about homosexuality, we, we can't talk about it in some cold, callous conversation, but we talk about it in a personal way because it's real and it involves real people. So this is the first thing we need to understand. Uh, the, the second thing we need to understand when it comes to laying this foundation that, that I'm trying to lay is Christians uh, and the church have done a really bad job interacting with people who are gay. And uh, like this past week, I met with a guy who was gay, and he told me that he was a part of this church for several years, and then he told them that they were gay, and they cut him off. Like right, right then, they turned their back on him, and he felt hurt and burned by that. There are parades that happen in this city, and people who say they're Christians go out and say things like, God hates fags. We use that's so gay like it's an insult. And so... If you're gay here today, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that Christians and the church as a whole has treated you. And here's what you need to understand. If you're LGBTQ, another letter in the acronym, I can't remember. But if you're there, you need to know three things. Uh, first, you need to know the answer to this better question. And the better question is this, what does God think of homosexuals? And the answer is he loves them. He loves them. Just like he loves all people. Jesus said it himself in John 3, 16. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe would not perish but would have eternal life. Jesus doesn't give any caveats here. He doesn't say that God so loved the world except gay people. He doesn't say God so loved the world except Redskins fans. Instead, he says God so loved the world. There is no caveat here, right? That whoever, whoever would believe would have eternal life. So the first thing you need to understand if you're gay this morning is that you matter to God. 
and that God loves you. The second thing you need to understand, and I can't speak for every church, but I can speak for this church, and my hope is that you wouldn't judge our church on other churches, but you would judge our church on our church, that you would judge the rising on the rising. What you need to understand is that you matter to this church, and I'm glad you're here, and I want you to be here. So you matter to this church. The, the one guy who, respond, who sent us a question about coming and being afraid that it would be a witch hunter, like he was a pig led to the slaughterhouse, he, he said, am I welcome at your church? And I responded, and I said, of course you are. Of course you are. Um, and here's what he said back to me. He said, thank you so much. Never have I ever had a pastor welcome me to worship after knowing I was gay. Thank you. I will definitely be see- you will definitely be seeing me either tomorrow or in the coming weeks. This made my day and lifted my spirits even closer to God. And so you need to understand today, if you are gay, you are welcome in this church. You matter to this church. The third thing, yeah. The third thing you need to know is that you matter to me. You matter to me. I care about you. I want you to be here. Here's how much you matter to me. You matter so much to me that in preparation for the sermon, I met with several people who are gay just to get their perspective. And I don't do that for any sermon. Like when I talk about tithing, I don't meet with greedy people and say, tell me about this. right? I I just don't. So I did that for this because I want to make sure I get a good perspective. Also, I did more research and study on this than almost any sermon I've ever done. And so if this sermon sucks, sorry, this is the best I got, (laughs) right? So you just need to know that you matter to me. You matter to God. You matter to this church, and you matter to me. And the third layer And this foundation that we all need to understand is this, that if you're a Christian, you've made Jesus the leader of your life. And because of that, we live within this tension of grace and truth. Here's what what the scriptures say about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. It said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so Jesus was full of, of grace, and he was full of truth. He wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He wasn't a balance of grace and truth, but he was 100% grace and 100% truth. And because of that, we live within this tension. See, grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. Grace is getting forgiveness when you don't deserve it. Truth is the rock-solid foundation on which we build. We can stand on it because we know it's right and it's true. Jesus was both 100% grace and 100% truth. And so as a Christian, we follow him. He's the leader of our life. And so we live within this tension of grace and truth. And because of that, it gets messy, right? Because we live within this tension, it doesn't create problems that need to be solved, but tensions that need to be managed. And there are some churches that operate in all truth. And when they do this, they create ever-changing lists of what's right and wrong and who's in and out, and it creates a culture of finger-pointing and judgment. And then there are some churches that operate in all grace and no truth, and when that happens, it creates this laissez-faire kind of attitude where do whatever you want, it doesn't really matter. But we, as a church, operate within grace and truth, within this tension, because we're following Jesus, and he was full of both grace and truth. A great example of how Jesus demonstrated this is a time in John chapter 8 where uh, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. She is caught in the act of having sex with someone who's not her husband. 
And these religious leaders see her. I don't know why they're looking at her, but they see her. And then they bring her in front of Jesus and they say, she's guilty of sin. She's guilty of committing adultery. And, and the law says we should stone her. We should kill her. This is all truth. And it's true. That's what the law said. And Jesus said, okay, throw stones in if you're without sin. Any one of you who is innocent and has never sinned, go ahead and throw some stones. And what happens to the crowd is it thins out as everyone leaves because they all realize that they too were guilty of sin. And then Jesus stands in front of this woman and he says to her, where are those who condemned you? And she said, they're gone. And Jesus said this, I don't condemn you either. This is grace. But then he says, now go and leave your life of sin. This is truth. This tension of grace and truth. And you need to understand this, that this is where we live. Because if you don't get this, then you may leave today saying he was too easy on them. He gave them too much grace. He should have let them have it. Or maybe if you don't get this, you'll leave and you'll say, man, he was too hard. He should have gave more grace. He gave way too much truth. No, no we live within the balance, the, the tension actually of grace and truth. And so as I start this, this uh, as I begin to answer this, we start from this foundation that uh, homosexuality is not an issue. It's personal. It's about people. The, the second thing is you matter to God, you matter to this church, and you matter to me. And then the third thing is we live within this tension of grace and truth. So now, let's answer this question. What does God think of homosexuality? And I want you to notice that built into the question um, is really what we're after. We're asking what does God think about homosexuality? We're not asking what does society say? What does the culture teach? We're not asking what do you feel or how were you raised? We're not saying what does James think or what does the church teach? We're not even asking what did Macklemore rap about? But we're saying what does God say and what does he think about homosexuality? And the best way to find that answer is to look at exactly what God said. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Mark chapter 10, verse 1. It's Mark chapter 10 starting in verse 1. Um, now, the reason why we're looking at what Jesus said is because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was God himself. Jesus took my sin on himself and died for me. Not only did he die, but he rose again from the dead. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to listen to the person who rose from the dead every time because they know something I don't. So we're looking at what Jesus said. Uh, another thing before we read this, I, I just want to point out uh, some people may make the argument and say, well, Jesus never really talked about homosexuality, and so it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a big deal for him, and so it shouldn't be a big deal for us. It's okay. But the problem with that is Jesus didn't talk about rape either, but it doesn't mean it's not an issue. And I would say that Jesus said everything he needed to say about homosexuality uh, in what he said about marriage. And Jesus said everything he intended to say and needed to say and he's very clear about it. So Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, here's what is written. It says, Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Uh, so this is just a detail to let us know that Jesus was in a real place at a real time with real people, that Jesus really lived. This was an actual event that took place in his life. And some Pharisees came, and they tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And so some religious leaders, they come to Jesus, they say, uh, they ask him a question about marriage, more specifically about divorce. And the reason why they ask him this is because there were two schools of thought at the time. Uh, one said that 
a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason. It didn't matter. Uh, another school of thought said that you could not divorce your wife for any reason at all. And so they're coming to Jesus and they say, hey, what do you say about this? And Jesus answered them with a question, which is what a good rabbi always do. You answer a question with a question. He said, uh, well, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, what's already written about it? And uh, it says, well, he permitted it, they replied. He said, a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. And so they say, Moses said it was okay, and Jesus gives us some commentary. He said, well, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. So he said, the reason Moses said it was fine to get divorced or that there was this, this concession for it is because of sin, because we are broken. We are not how God designed us to be. He said, but now I want to go back to how God designed it, how God created it. Verse 6, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. Here's God's design, he says. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so here's what Jesus, God himself, says about marriage. Now, I'm not interested in biblical marriage. I'm not talking about biblical marriage. When you talk about biblical marriage, it gets really confusing real quick. Because when you talk about biblical marriage, it's like, are we talking about Jacob, who had four wives? Is that biblical marriage? Are we talking about Solomon, who had 700 wives and 300 concubines? Is that biblical? No. So I'm not talking about biblical marriage. I'm not even talking about Christian marriage. I'm talking about the marriage that Jesus endorsed and defined. And here's what he said marriage is, that marriage is between one man, one woman, for life. That's it. That God's design for marriage is that it's between one man, one woman, for life. And anything outside of that plan, anything outside of that design is outside of God's original plan and is sin. And so Jesus is letting us know that the playground for sex is marriage, and anything outside of this playground is dangerous, is sin, is wrong. But if you're in this playground of marriage, Jesus said one man, one woman for life, then you should play a lot. Just saying. Um, but this isn't just about homosexuality. This is anything. This is two acquaintances hooking up. This is, this is a boyfriend and a girlfriend giving themselves oral sex. This is a, 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 an engaged couple who's living together and sleeping together before they get married. This is a husband and wife who's, who's looking for fulfillment in someone else. This is a guy or a girl who's looking at pornography. Anything outside of the playground of marriage is sin and wrong. And this is just how Jesus defines it. And if you say, man... Having sex with the same person for the rest of your life, it's got to be boring. Well, if you say that, it's because you're not doing it right. <laughs> Talk about that another time. But this, this is what Jesus says. Also, as we look at the scriptures, we see that whenever homosexuality is mentioned, it is never mentioned in a positive light. It is always referred to as sin. But my role when it comes to someone else's sin is not to judge them. 
is not to look down on them or to condemn them. The reason why I've never preached on homosexuality is because I never felt the need to. Also, I never wanted it to seem like I was elevating one sin above every other else, or every other sin, because this is what Christians do. And it's easy for someone to judge somebody else about something they don't struggle with. It's easy for me to look at you and condemn you for something you do, but I don't. But when we start to talk about my sin, now it's a lot harder. And so what Christians have done is we've raised homosexuality up like it's this worse thing than any. It's not. It's sin, just like all sin. And my role as a Christian when it comes to sin is to love people because I was loved in spite of my sin. My role as a Christian when it comes to someone's shortcoming is to give them grace because I was given grace in my shortcoming. When we, when we sent out this survey asking people, hey, what questions do you have? Um, one person responded directly to me. Um, and so he didn't ask a question, or she didn't ask a question, but she was telling me something. And um, it was anonymous, and, and that's fine because that's how we designed it. We designed it to be anonymous. We didn't ask for people's names. If we did ask for people's names and they didn't put their name, I wouldn't have read it because I don't read anonymous criticism or critiques, which, by the way, you shouldn't either. And also, you shouldn't send me anonymous stuff. If you're not willing to put your name on it, don't send it. <laughs> because I have a file for that. It's called the trash can. It's called delete, not, not listening. But this person responded, and it was anonymous again because we designed it that way. And here's what this person said to me. Uh, they said, why do you allow open sin in the church and do not address it? By not addressing the sin, we do a great injustice to the people who attend here, and we are misleading them into accepting the sin as it is okay. I would not want to be held liable by God by not teaching his whole word, the good, the bad, and the ugly to his children. Truth is what I seek, God's truth, not man's acceptance, and you should feel the same. Burn. Now, with this person's attitude and perspective, most likely they don't come to our church anymore. Because if you got that kind of attitude and perspective, you're just not going to last that long here because we don't think like that. But, uh, but if you're here, if that was you and you're here today, or maybe you're listening on the, online because you knew this was coming up, I want to talk to you real quick and I want to tell you, I agree with you. Let's talk about sin. But let's not talk about other people's sin. Let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about your sin. And so let me just ask you, when was the last time you looked at someone lustfully? When, when was the last time that you spread gossip? When was the last time that you were greedy? You're probably greedy now and you don't even know it. When was the last time you were self-righteous? Because Jesus does condemn a sin more than any other sin, and it is not homosexuality. It is self-righteousness. When he judges the Pharisees and condemns them because they're throwing stones and they've missed their own sin. So let's talk about sin, but not other people's sin. Let's talk about our sin. And I say this, here's why, here's why, here's why. You, you need to understand this. The scriptures are not a window through which we view other people and judge them. The scriptures are a mirror that we look into and are reflecting on ourselves and see just how broken we are and in need of grace we are. And because I'm broken, I need grace. And I'm surrounded by broken people who need grace also. And so I'm going to give them grace. This is the purpose 
of the scriptures. We don't use the Bible to bash people. Here's what Paul writes about sin in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Um, he said, those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do wrong will not inherit. Real quick, I just want to see, has anybody ever done something wrong in their life? Okay. So that's everybody. Unless you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, and so you're wrong. So that's everybody, right? We're all, we're all in the same boat. We're all guilty of sin. And the way that it works is this. If you're hanging from a cliff by a chain, how many links in the chain need to break for you to fall? Just one. And it doesn't matter which one breaks. It doesn't matter how many of them break. If just one breaks, you fall. And so we're all guilty of sin. But, but, but then he goes on, because maybe there's somebody who's like, not me. So he goes on to give a list. He says, don't fool yourselves. Don't, don't, don't act like you got it all together. Don't act like your poop doesn't stink. Come on. Let me give you a list. He said, those who indulge in sexual sin. That's me. I've crossed all sorts of lines sexually. I've, I've, I've battled pornography for years. I'm guilty. That's me. Or who worship idols. Idolatry is when we put anything before God. Anything takes a place of importance higher than God in our life. It's idolatry. That's me. That's me. Or commit adultery. Jesus said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. How many married men have done that last week? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> he says, or male prostitutes. Okay, that's not me. Good. Right? I don't have a check in that box. But it doesn't matter. Because even if one link is broken, I'm guilty. So I can't look and be like, I'm better than them. No, I'm in the same boat. Or those who practice homosexuality. Well, that's not me. Yeah, but you looked at porn last night. Or thieves. You ever stole something? Office supplies count. <laughs> or greedy people. Again, man, many of us are greedy. We don't even know it. You want to test if you're greedy? When's the last time you tithed? When was the last time you returned to God what he said was his? Or drunkards. You ever got drunk? Cinco de Mayo? <laughs> shot, shot, shots. Or abusive. You ever hurt somebody verbally? Physically? Emotionally? Or cheat people? You ever give somebody the wrong end of the deal? Don't, don't, be, don't fool yourselves, he says. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. We're all cut off. But then he says this. And some of you were once like that. That's how you used to be. That was your identity, and that's what you were guilty of. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here's what this says, that if you're guilty of sin, we are all in the same boat. But if you believe in Jesus, if you've met him and if you've said yes to him, then you've been cleansed. You've been washed because Jesus took your sin, all your sin, every sin in that list, even if you're doing it now. He took it and he washed you. And so when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin 
sin, but he sees his son. That's how much God loves you and how you've been redeemed. It's grace. It's grace. Here's what I love about the church in Corinth. See, they, they had a lot of things wrong, but they got this right because they created an environment where anybody could come in and be loved and cared for so much so that they were able to bump into Jesus and be transformed forever. And that's our approach in this church. We want to be the kind of church that regardless of who you are, where you've been, and what you've done, you are welcome here. You will be loved here. And it is not my job to change you. It is God's job to change you. It is my job to love you. And that is what we are going to do. That's just who we are. So, uh, and I, I need to tell you this, though, as we talk about love and grace, and, and if you're homosexual or not, this applies to you. We accept all people, uh, but acceptance and affirmation are two different things. So we accept and love all people, but it doesn't always mean that we affirm of the lifestyle you live or what you do because we cannot affirm sin because sin is not part of God's design for our life. Uh, you do this with your family. So acceptance and affirmation are not always the same, right? I accept and love my family, but I do not affirm when my daughter throws tantrums. And maybe you're like, what? She's so angelic. Yeah, most of the time. But there is 5% of her that does not get affirmed, but she is 100% accepted and loved. So affirmation and acceptance are two different things. I bring this up because I understand that in the gay community, um, acceptance and affirmation often go hand in hand, but you can accept someone and love someone and not affirm their sin. This isn't just for homosexuality, it's for all sin. So if you're living with your boyfriend, we do not affirm that, right? If you're, if you're cheating in school, we do not affirm that. We accept all people, but we don't affirm every life choice or the way that everyone lives. Uh, because ultimately sin is not God's design for our life. And you may say, okay, well, if it's not God's design for our life, then why are some people gay? I don't know. But the gay friends I have and the individuals I know who are gay often attribute it to one of three things, three factors, uh, environmental, experiential, or biological. Sometimes it's a combination of two, sometimes it's all three. But I don't have time to get into each one of these things, but I do want to touch on the biological aspect real quick. Um, because if science ever proved that someone was born uh, with the inclination or the tendency to be gay, if someone was, uh, was born to be gay, that does not influence or change what the scriptures say about it. It actually backs up what the scriptures say because the scriptures say that we are all born with a tendency towards sin. You know this, you understand this. If you have kids, you didn't need to teach your kids to sin, right? They just did it. We are born with this natural tendency. Uh, also, um, this understanding that, well, I was born this way, so it's okay, goes against everything that Paul writes about in the scriptures. Uh, Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church and author of um, The Purpose Driven Life, was once asked, uh, if it's proven that someone is born with a natural inclination towards homosexuality, would that be okay? And Rick Warren said, I was born with a natural inclination to have sex with every pretty woman I meet. 
But just because he's born with that inclination does not mean he should do it or engage in it. I, James, was born with the natural inclination to wake up late every day and be lazy. I was born with the natural inclination to look at pornography every day. I was born with the natural inclination to eat food with so much salt and sugar in it that it would kill me by the age of 40. But just because I'm born with the natural inclination does not mean that I engage in it. And so this idea that, well, I was born that way, so it's okay, Christians just don't believe that. Really, we look at our lives and we say, I followed my natural inclinations and it got me to where I am now and I'm broken and I don't need something natural, I need something supernatural. And so this, this is really how, how we look at it. Also, um, as, as we think about this, maybe somebody would say, but that's my identity. But this is who I am, or that's who they are. And I would say, no, your sexuality is not who you are. It is not your identity, because you are way more complex than that. If all you are is boiled down to your sexuality, you are a shallow person. You are not just gay. I'm not straight James. If that's my identity, I got a problem, right? I, you are made in the image of God. That's who you are. You are loved by God. You are a person who is kind, who's compassionate, who's, who's uh, disciplined. You're a person who's creative. You're a person who's detail-oriented. And just like all those things come together to combine who you are, not just one of those things, but all of them, your sexuality is a part of who you are, but it is not all of who you are. And so we just need to understand that it is not all of who somebody is. This is true for the guy who seeks to find his worth in conquering women. How many, men, how many women can I sleep with? Your sexuality is not who you are. And just because you may be born with a certain tendency does not mean that you engage in it. It might actually mean that you have to die to yourself this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. When we follow Jesus, it means that there are times that we have to die to ourselves. We say, this is outside of God's plan. Even though everything inside of me is yearning for this and longing for this, I have to die to that and live for Christ because ultimately he will lead me to the best life ever. And I want to be clear, when we talk about homosexuality, like same-sex attraction or same-sex like temptation is not sin. It's when you engage in it and act on it. Here's what James said in his letter. He said, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to sin, to be tempted isn't sin, but it's when we engage in it that it becomes sin. And, and you may think, well, what about love? What about love? I mean, are you saying that love is wrong? I mean, because they love each other. You can't tell me that love is wrong, right? Well, let's just think about it in this context. Um, let's pretend there's a, a man and a woman who are married, and they've grown apart. They've grown distant. They're roommates at best. 
And this woman meets a man at her work who, who treats her great. He compliments her. He makes her laugh. He gives her everything she wants and needs and has been longing for. And then they start going to lunch together, first in groups, but then just together. And then they start going to dinner together. The relationship progresses. Now she wants to leave her husband to go be with this man. Are you telling me they can't be together? Because they love each other, right? And love can't be wrong. Let me ask you this. For this woman, does it feel natural? Yes. Is it fun? Yes. Is that man giving her everything she's desired for the past several years? Yes. Does everything in her nature say go for it? Yes. But does this go against God's design? Yes. Does that mean that this isn't God's best for her? Yes. So wait, are you telling me that they can't be together? No. Jesus is. Because Jesus designed us. He, Jesus says that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And not all love is right. Not all love is beneficial. Not all love is what God designed. And when we think about marriage, marriage is actually not about finding a great sex partner or someone um, who you can spend the rest of your life with or finding God's perfect match for you. But marriage is a picture of how Jesus operated with the church. Marriage is the embodiment of grace and truth. Another way we could say it is marriage is all about duty and passion. When the passion fades in your marriage, you don't go find another marriage. You think... Couples are passionate about one another for 365 days of the year? No. When the passion fades, that's when you work on it and you stay in the relationship because of the truth that it's built on. So marriage is about grace and truth. And just because you feel a love or a passion somewhere else does not mean you should engage in it. In the same way, not all love is the way God planned it. Really, God's facts will always trump the way that we feel. And you may ask, but doesn't God want me to be happy? The answer is no. God wants you to be redeemed. God wants you to be like Jesus. And that means that there are times that you may have to say no to yourself. You may have to die to yourself and take up your cross. And so because homosexuality is a sin, just like with every sin, I believe that God is calling us to not engage in it. And I believe that if you're gay today, Jesus is calling you to be celibate. And I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> Jesus said it himself in Matthew 19, 12. He, he taught on this and he said, let anyone accept it who can. He's like, this is hard. But Jesus was celibate and so was Paul and Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he didn't do. And so because it's sin, We've been washed and redeemed from our sin, and so we no longer engage in it. And so I believe that if you're gay today, Jesus is calling you to be celibate. And maybe you say, but hold on. You're telling me that I need to suppress my urges? You're telling me, I think it's unfair that I have to suppress my urges. Even if I try, I'm going to fail. And I can try and try and try, but I'm going to fail and fail and fail. And if you were to say that, I would say, get in line. Get in line. Because I know what it's like to fail sexually. 
I know what it's like to battle with this. I, I, I met with a girl a few weeks ago who identifies herself as gay, and here's what she said. She said, I know that it's a sin, but the struggle I have is still following God and trying to be true to myself. I know. Not in the same way, but I know. I know what it's like to pray that God would deliver me from something and it doesn't happen. I know what it's like to, to develop discipline and set up boundaries. I know what it's like to pray, God, why, why am I like this? You're the one who made me this way. And then you put these, these expectations on me to not act like that? That's unfair, why would you do that? I know, get in line. And maybe say, yeah, but, but James, unlike you and your heterosexual friends, I don't get to have a, a, a release. Translation, I don't get a chance to have a, a fulfilling sexual relationship. Get in line. A friend of mine told me about uh, this woman he knows who's been married for years and she hasn't had an orgasm once. There's a guy who looks at so much pornography that when his wife comes on to him, he has to say to her, I'm sorry, but I can't get excited just for you. There's, there's this guy who's going through a divorce right now and he hasn't had sex for months. I know this girl who was abused when she was a kid, who was sexually abused when she was a kid and she's going through counseling now so that every time she has sex with her husband, it's not a traumatic experience. Get in line. You're not the only one doesn't have a fulfilling sex life. And maybe say, okay, forget the sex. I just want to be with somebody who loves me. I want to be with somebody who knows me, somebody who I'm going to have companionship with, somebody who's going to accept me. And I just say, get in line. And when I say get in line, what I'm saying is me too. Me too. Me too. I think all of us are saying that. Me too. And that's why we're here. And we've found that person in Jesus who will love you in all your shortcomings, who will be the strength when you're weak, who will give you the confidence when you waver, who will accept you no matter what. Me too. Me too. And so if you're a homosexual, you are no different than anybody else here. You are the same as everybody else here. If you're straight, you are no different than anybody else here. You are the same as everybody else here. We're all looking for someone who will love us. And that person is Jesus. And if you wanna be in a place that says, we don't have it all figured out, all of us are broken, all of us need to live in grace and truth, this is the place for you where we join arms together and we follow the one who loves us no matter what. Because this is a place of grace and truth. This is a place where we all stand side by side and say, me too, me too. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.